Right, time to record another exciting instalment of the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Uh, you didn't didn't send me any notes. So I'm assuming this episode's a listicle. Gotta love a listicle. Hello. Sorry, didn't you get my message? You're actually not needed for this episode. Is it true? Have you betrayed us? Us? Have you betrayed me? Sorry, are you quoting Blake Seven at me? That's not important. What do you mean I'm not needed? Well, we have an interview this week. I thought you'd just take the week off. But I'm here and I demand you make use of me. Well, I guess you... Pew! Pew pew! What? I'm I'm shooting you, just like Avon did. Uh, Any final words? Yes. These intros are getting further and further away from being about conspiracy theories these days. Roll the theme! Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison, they are Dr. M. Dentith, and for us right now at least, it's going to be a, going to be a nice quick record, uh, because this week, uh, M's already done the heavy lifting for me and gone and recorded a, an interview, a full proper interview with another person who isn't me. So um, all we, we really need to do is, is record a bit at the start, a bit at the end. And, Bob's and your uncle, your and brother. Fanny yeah. is your aunt. Mm. And actually, that is, I actually did have an Uncle Bob and a great Aunt Fanny. So mm. frankly, that saying was actually about me the entire time. I had an uncle, oh, I still have an Uncle David, big fan of Moonlighting. I absolutely love that reference. Mm. Mm. And I suspect and a, lot of people, well. a lot of people are going, what? Guess mm. No, we know. We know. We know. We know. Uh, I suppose, of course, we should mention that um, uh, even if you're not in New Zealand, you may well be aware that uh, Auckland, at least, is locked down once again. We've had a handful of cases of community transmission that we're not 100% certain where they came from. Well, the the Deputy Prime Minister seems to have been reliably told by a journalist they come from the border. Not from the government, not from scientists working with the government, the Deputy Prime Minister is saying, oh, no, they're clearly from the border. How do I know? A journalist told me. Which yes, uh, speaks to the quality of our policy from time to time. Mm. But at any rate, yes, I mean, that, 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 that has put a crimp on your plans, but at least you're not locked. To, well, I suppose you're, you're level two, aren't you? Which means you can still go out and do stuff. I'm here in Auckland in level three, where we're not supposed to go out unless we really need to. And, and they're telling us to yeah. wear masks now. And the thing is, everything could change tomorrow night, because at half past Mm. five on Friday, New Zealand Standard Time, the government will be making an announcement as to what's happening both with Auckland and the rest of the country. And I think everyone at this stage is expecting that Auckland's three days of level three lockdown will probably be extended. The question will be, given that the people with COVID-19 have travelled throughout the country, Mm. there might be an extension of the Level 3 lockdown to other parts of the country as well. We won't know until Friday at 5.30. Indeed. Yes, I mean, I don't, like, initially it was, there's been community transmission again, so lockdown for three days, but I don't think anyone thought it could be just the three days. Either there is, we've identified the cases 
and we need to wait till they're sorted out to be sure, or we haven't identified all the cases, and then we definitely need to wait until we've tracked everything down. So, yeah, I'm, we're, it'll be interesting to see, though, as you say, what happens to the rest of the country. I mean, as far as I as far as I've heard, there's uh, Rotorua is the furthest they've got from Auckland. It's been known that that people, infected people, have got from Auckland. So that's still the top half of the North Island. So maybe, yeah, maybe it will expand further south or or who knows basically we're all just playing the wait and see game and by the time you're listening to this uh you might know um but we don't so gotta leave it at that for now and once again as we keep reiterating you might be listening to this after the fall of human civilization mm, exactly because we might be the only cultural artifact left from the human species mm, at which hoping. point you'll be going what is this auckland you speak of and what is COVID 19 Mm. Uh, Auckland's a city, biggest one in New Zealand. COVID nineteen is a disease, nasty. Ah, uh, but Don't Josh, like you see, the problem with that explanation: aliens listening to this podcast will have no understanding of the English language. So you've just produced sounds that they don't understand. They might think that this is a popular form of music on this planet. Mm. They might be alien viruses. Maybe they think we're the bad guys. I don't know. Probably best not to speculate now. Uh, so this interview, um, I was going to say, talk us through what's going to be in it, but having listened to the interview, you you do a fairly good job in the interview itself of, of introducing things and, and and setting up who it is you're going to be talking about and, and what and how and why. But um, just briefly, you're going to be talking to a lovely fellow by the name of Byron Clark. Uh, how did this interview come about? So when I found out that Action Zealandia, one of our far-right, alt-right, white supremacist groups, had a podcast in which they had interviewed notable fascist intellectual of the country, Kerry Bolton, I mentioned on Twitter that I'd probably need to listen to it, at which point some individuals from the organization Paparoa, which has been very instrumental in basically replying to the white supremacist message after the Christchurch shootings of March last year, although they have a much longer history of dealing with anti-racism and the like. They got in contact with some information about the interview as a kind of background if I wanted it. At which point I said it would be great to actually interview someone from your organisation to talk through the Kerry Bolton stuff. Now, Paparoa is a largely anonymous collective, Understandably so, because as they're fighting racism, they don't really want to be targeted by the racists, because as we've seen overseas, racists do tend to get ever so slightly violent, and by violent I mean engage in shootings in mosques like we saw in March of last mm -hmm. year. So initially they would go, well we can get someone to talk with you, but they'll need to be anonymous and we'll anonymize their voice. And then they mentioned that actually Byron was actually quite happy to talk with me. Now, this was convenient because I actually had already planned to talk with him about this interview. Because as you'll find in the interview with Byron, he has been doing a lot of good work looking at right-wing activity on YouTube. Because he might be the right kind of person to talk about this anyway. So basically everything came together. Hmm. Well, there you go. Um, well, let's not beat about the bush anymore then. Uh, shall we just, just give these lovely listeners um, a taste of your interviewing skills? Indeed. And a little peek behind the curtain here. You're now going to listen to about 55 minutes of an interview with Byron Clark, 
And then Josh is going to pretend he's just listened to it in real time and give us feedback. But actually what's going to happen is I'm going to give a little clap to mark where the edit's going to be. And then Josh is going to launch in almost immediately into his commentary upon it. Because that is the magic of editing. Mm, glamour, you might say. Indeed. So we're going to play a sting. And then for you, time will pass. But for us, no time will pass at all. Hello and welcome to an interview, which we're going to go in a slightly different direction with today's show, and that we're going to be talking about Kerry Bolton, Action Zelandia, and a podcast featuring both Kerry Bolton and Action Zelandia. Now, I'm actually going to be talking with not my normal co-host, Josh, but with Byron Clark, who's the country's leading bread tuber, (laughs) and Jonathan Frakes impersonator. Hello, Byron. Welcome to the show. Hello. I should say there are are a couple of New Zealand-based bread tubers who are more popular than me, so... Perhaps they are the I actually was, I was going to ask, how are things working out in the hierarchy of bread tube? Is there a kind of fight to the death thing? Do you have to work out a way of who's going to dominate the other? Is it a kind of friendly thing? I mean, what's going on with bread tr- tube in this country? It's, pre- it's pretty friendly. There's, there's about three of us in, the, in this country and then um, a few people in Australia who um, we can uh, sometimes collaborate with a bit as well. Um, and then there is plenty of bread tube, bread tube drama, but that's more the, the Americans and the British. We, we stay out of that. We're here to talk about the alt-right, particularly a group called Action Zelandia. Who or what is Action Zelandia? So Action Zelandia are a, uh, I would say, small and quite secretive uh, white supremacist group. They emerged around July of last year. They have a bit of a, a lineage from the Dominion movement, an earlier sort of alt-right group that um, went in a, on an indefinite hiatus on the afternoon of the, the Christchurch shooting, almost, I think, within an hour of the shooting happening, they had pulled down their social media and announced they were going on hiatus. And um, we haven't heard from them again, really, but we we know, in part from this podcast that we're discussing, that Actions Zealandia came out of some of the members who were involved in that um, to try and reform um, a couple of months after that event. Now, you refer to Action Zelandia as a white supremacist group. Do you want to go into what kind of political ideology Action Zelandia espouse? They would, I would call them a, a fascist group. I, I don't know if they use the word fascist to describe themselves, but they're certainly happy to uh, cite various fascist thinkers and activists positively, um, and espouse what I'd probably describe as a sort of third positionist fascism. They are sometimes can sound perhaps to, to casual observers a bit left wing in their critiques of uh, capitalism, neoliberalism and uh, consumerism. Um, but they posit a very kind of traditionalist um, and very uh, a worldview that harkens back to a sort of imagined European past. Um, and when I say white supremacist, they, again, probably wouldn't describe themselves as such. They might say identitarian, which is a word that these far-right groups, particularly in Europe, have adopted to say they're about European identity and preserving European identity and in the face of um, 
uh, globalism and, and so forth. Um, some of the things they have said, though, particularly when they think they're just among their own on um, places like 4chan, um, you see some of that classic sort of anti-Semitism and so forth that you'd expect from from a fascist or neo-Nazi type group. Yes, I suppose we should point out for listeners of the show that the, third, the kind of third position or third positionism is very much a European rebranding of fascism after the Second World War, which is mm. slightly different from the direction that fascism went when it went underground in the States after World War II. And so you kind of get a position there, which is, as you, as you point out, is kind of about the development of white ethnostates, which in Europe, and I'm, I'm going to use legitimate here in a kind of weird way, there's more of a legitimate call for their, given European nations, at least in Western Europe, being predominantly white nations. So mm. the idea of these white nationalists going, we want to reclaim our homelands, which was something which was quite difficult for fascists to do in the US because white people are a colonizing power. So it's kind of interesting to have a kind of third positionist movement occurring in Aotearoa, New Zealand, given that we are a colonially white power, not mm. an ethnically white location, unless, of course, you're willing to endorse certain Celtic New Zealand theses that maybe the white person was here first. Mm. And, of course, Kerry Bolton, who we're going to be talking about, was one of the first people to espouse those theories. Although he seems to really want to distance himself from that these days. Ah. Now, there's another interesting part of the action Zelandia political ideology, which you say because there's a kind of mix of conservatism and some kind of weird left-wing ideas from, say, the, the middle of the 20th century. There's quite an envi environmentalist-focused action Zelandia, isn't there? There is. Um... I think they probably identify a bit with the eco-fascist ideology, which is a thing that's emerging. And, uh, of course, that was the, the term that the Christchurch shooter identified himself with. Um, and that, I think, has its roots a little bit in, you know, some ideas from um, 20th century fascism and Nazism um, in terms of, like, protecting the... You know, the whole the blood and soil kind of idea, um, so a different kind of environmentalism than what you'd get from mainstream green parties. One that's very much about protecting your your homeland for your race or your ethnic group. Um, and they also um, they seem to have um, moved on from a bit a bit now, but but early on they were posting pictures of themselves doing like. Uh, cleaning up rubbish in public parks and things, which was a uh, something the British National Party did as a kind of propaganda exercise to show that they were there caring about the community's local environment and things. They, they seem to have given up on that, though I haven't seen much uh, much of them doing that lately. No, although maybe some of that's due to the whole COVID-19 lockdown. Quite possibly, not, yeah, yeah. not being able to get out and about to go down to the Quite beach. Quite possible, yes. It, it might be they'd like to be cleaning up the beaches. It's just that this pesky pandemic that's going on is, is stopping them at this particular point in time. True. Now, we've mentioned Kerry Bolton. Who is Kerry Bolton? So Kerry Bolton is probably New Zealand's most famous fascist. Um, and that he has been around, well, I'd say more, more than 40 years now, and um, 
was involved in, I think he tried to set up a group called the Fascist Union in the early days and then was involved in uh, the National Front for a while, um, although later left that. In the 1990s, he was trying to marry sort of fascist ideas with some odd sort of occult ideas, starting the uh, Order of the Left-Hand Path. I think he's abandoned all that now. Um, so he's he's known a bit here as a as a fascist figure. I think possibly one of the only New Zealand fascists to say have a Wikipedia article. Um, but he's also somewhat known internationally in fascist circles for the various um, books that he's written and and so forth. Yes, and he claims to have a doctorate, doesn't he? I think he does claim that. Yes. Although there is there are questions as to whether he actually has this doctorate. I know he was doing work in a PhD program somewhere in the South Island in the early 2000s, and I believe he submitted the work and it was passed through, but then there were questions about the supervision of the work given the quality of the published document, which then led to a whole bunch of issues around the awarding of that PhD. It's one of those things where the university in question doesn't want to talk about it, which makes it quite difficult to actually fisk any of the information about whether Kerry Bolton has a legitimate PhD or not. But he certainly does trade on the idea of being Dr. Kerry Bolton. Mm. Actually, I have I I have I have a bit of a history with Kerry Bolton. Years ago, he wrote a a three part series for Countercurrents called New Zealand Academia Studies in Corruption, of which I got to be listed in the first entry uh, on the notion that my PhD can't be particularly good because it was short and only used secondary sources. To which I would argue. A succinct PhD is not a bad PhD, and in philosophy, when you're dealing with theory, it is mostly going to be secondary sources talking Mm. about ideas rather than fisking those ideas directly. I'm here to guide people to how to think about conspiracy theories, not to tell them whether particular conspiracy theories are good or bad. And then a few years ago, I... I I uncovered a a bit of a mystery uh, at an institute I was working at at the time in that I was given a book by a visiting scholar by uh, by the name of Dimitri Makopoulos. I'm fairly sure I've just mangled his his Greek last name, although as the story develops, you'll realize why I don't particularly care. And this book is called Homer's Odyssey Beyond the Myth, which is a a academic treatise about how the... Odyssey is actually a coded reference to the ancient Greeks going to North America. So I was given this book because of my interest in the whole Celtic New Zealand stuff on the notion that, oh, you'll find it interesting. We've now got a Greek scholar who's claiming the same thing about ancient Greece and North America. So I flicked through the book to see what the references were and discovered that the English translation had been reviewed by none other than Kerry Bolton. So then I went, oh, I should probably see what else Bolton and Dimitri have actually worked upon. And so I discovered that they co-founded a journal, Ab Eterno, which translates to since always, where Dimitri was the editor and Bolton was the publisher because the journal was published locally down here. Although some sources online actually indicate that Bolton was not just the publisher, he was the co-editor as well. And because the journal had an ISSN number, that meant I knew it had to have been lodged in the National Library. 
and so it was able to find issues of it online. Oh yes, and it's it's got some absolute gems in it, including a piece by Dimitri called "Absolute Evil and the Absolute Silly: The Main Guilt of European Decline," which basically goes on to say that Hitler was a really, really good Christian, and that basically he's been. He's been mislabeled by people over time. If only we actually understood what he was doing, which is standing up against the Jews, we would re realize that Hitler had a view of positive Christianity to give to the world, which has been sadly left to one side because of some conspiracy. See. So I thought that was quite interesting. And the whole thing about this journal with its, its very anti-Jewish, pro-Nazi message, I think kind of speaks to the fact that Bolton does have a fairly disturbing history which I think is one of those things where it becomes a bit, a, a, almost a pun, except it's really not, he, which he's trying to whitewash at this particular point in time. Mm. So yes, so Bolton and Action Zelandia got together to do a podcast recently. Yes, which wasn't, I think it wasn't wholly surprising. He, <clears throat> for a while, had been commenting on articles on their website, and I, I think maybe had even sort of guest-written one article there. Um, and I think sees himself as something of a, a mentor figure for these young men who have formed their little fascist youth group, which he seems to have quite a positive opinion of, because unlike the National Front, which was always always had more of a street fighting skinhead kind of element, uh, these this new group does seem, at least a few of their members, seem to actually be interested in the kind of ideas around fascism and what you might call intellectual fascism rather than just, um, you know, uh, beating up migrants or things like the uh, National Front used to do in the 90s and 2000s. They're more, more looking at um, fascist theory and thinkers and things. And so I think that he's he's been very attracted to the group because of that and them to him for the same same sort of reason. So what did you think of the quality of the discussion? Did it make you want to go alt-right? Well, no, it didn't didn't make me want to go alt-right. Um, I think the the worry with this sort of thing is that for for some some young men it may make them want to go alt-right. I think um, it attracts a group like Action Zealandia attracts a you know, a certain type of, of young man that probably wouldn't have got involved in if they were alive two decades earlier and young wouldn't have got involved in a group like the National Front that were out there, um, you know, drinking and fighting and, and so on. Um, it's those those sort of young men who get very into the idea of um, being somewhat countercultural and maybe discovering some sort of hidden knowledge. I think a lot of the, the people that this sort of fascist theory and things appeals to are men who in um, in different circumstances might instead become really into uh, Gnosticism or read too much Terence McKenna or become occultists or, or whatever. Um, and instead they, get in, they might get into this um, whole body of work of, uh, of fascist theory that um, Kerry Bolton is... is you know, a big contributor to and Action Zealandia promotes and so forth. 
So they talk about a fair number of topics in their hour-long con conversation, one of which is, of course, the that terrible co coded term, the Great Replacement, which, of mm. course, is unfortunately the name of a particular manifesto associated with the shootings down in Christchurch. And Bolton tries to claim that the Great Replacement as a theory isn't false because even the UN talks about the notion of replacement migration. So let's talk mm. a little bit about that. What is the Great Replacement thesis? So the Great Replacement, um, um, probably the the key sort of author from behind the work is uh, uh, Renard uh, Camus, uh, who wrote a book of that title. Um, although there have been others who have promoted quite similar theories, like um, Douglas Murray, who published the book um, The Strange Death of Europe. Um, and then there are various others promoting the idea. Some some of the more um, explicitly uh, white supremacist types will use the term white genocide rather than great replacement and claim that actually white people are experiencing some kind of a genocide because, they are, because white majority countries are... Um, being having mass migration forced upon them from from non-white countries, and that this is this is uh, and what some of them will say is that this is a deliberate plot, and depending on who it is, it's either the UN behind it or it's you know that favourite enemy of the far right, it's the Jew, Jews behind it, or or what have you. Um, now, with the, with the UN talking about replacement migration, I and mean, that is something you can search the UN website and find what they're what they're talking about there really is replacing the workforce rather than replacing the, the population. Of course, most of Europe has uh, an aging population, and over the next few decades, will require people to migrate from other countries to be part of the workforce as the as the older generation retires. Um, but it's a real stretch to say there's some kind of sinister motive behind that to replace white people or or breed out whiteness um as if that were really a thing anyway i mean it's um <clears throat> the idea of whiteness is something that's uh the definition shifts over over time and space who gets to be white and not and who who isn't so yes it does seem to be a sleight of hand that bolton engages in by going look we talk about the Great Replacement. The UN talks about replacement migration. They've both got the word replacement in them, mm. and they're both referring to population change. So really, one is just a an acceptable version of how we can talk about the other. But of course, the whole thing about the Great Replacement thesis is it's meant to be engineered from the top. There mm. are people in power who are trying to replace white people around the globe and reduce their power in the supposed polities that they, they own or have property over. Well, the whole point of replacement migration is discussion of a thing which is happening due to globalism, the way borders work and the way that capital flow works such that people will move from one country to another in order for more opportunity or money, at which mm. point that's not the result of an agenda or a plan. That's mm. just a particular system cranking through particular motions, which produces a result which, if you think there's an agenda suddenly looks like the Great Replacement. But if you don't think there's an agenda, go, no, actually, that's just how globalism works in a global society. 
Mm, exactly. And I think this actually goes in quite nicely with the way that Bolton is quite annoyed by the idea that the intellectual left won't properly engage people like him on the, I'm going to put in scare quotes here, intellectual right. Don't necessarily want to actually accord to Bolton the position of being an intellectual, but I certainly recognise that within the alt-right community, he is one of the intellectuals they put forward as being an exemplar of how they think about things. Yeah. And so he's he's trying to claim that we won't engage properly with his kind of ideas. Do you think that's actually true? Well, it could be argued that we're engaging with, with those ideas right now. Um, we're looking at the idea he's promoting and, you know, and I would say critiquing it and fact-checking it. And, and if that's, if, I mean, if that's what he means by engagement, then we're, we're certainly doing it. So I think um, the ideas don't get engaged with a lot because they are quite fringe, although I think more engagement is happening as they ideas like that start to move from the fringe and edge a little bit closer to the mainstream which i think we have seen over the past few years and because of that people are being sort of forced to engage it rather than just dismiss it and i think one other aspect that he's probably thinking about is why don't i get invited onto the radio or tv to expound upon my ideas if such mediocre thinkers as your ben shapiro's and your jordan Pe peterson mm. get play and i speaking in the voice of Kerry bolton here think i'm a much better intellectual of this particular type of tradition than they are mm. why am i not being engaged with there must be some kind of plot to stop me from being able to express my ideas in public fora mm. so yeah there is something yeah. very interesting about that which is either a case of not recognizing that there is engagement because when i was listening to him say that on the podcast case of well maybe one of the reasons why you're not being engaged with is that people engaged with this back in the 60s so actually a lot of the a lot of the concerns you're putting forward are actually fairly old ideas from just mm. after world war ii they were in fact engaged with at that time and people pointed out that they are hollow and the fact that you haven't moved on and the rest of the world has done means it looks as if people don't want to engage with you but people are going no we've i thought we'd already solved that issue 40 or, in this case, actually, 80 years ago. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the ideas that are being espoused by, by Bolton and by Action Zealandia, um, it feels very much like, no, we've we've had this discussion. You know, we've, we've talked about it all we can and the fascist position is, is wrong and we're moving on from that now. And, and these groups are just trying to edge their way back into back into the mainstream discourse and expand uh, the Overton window, that political science idea of um, that there's a window of acceptable discourse at any given time. And I think for quite a, quite a long time now, fascist ideas have been outside of that window and the window's expanded to include them again, largely because we've had very unregulated social media um, and YouTube in particular um, with with its algorithms that will autoplay similar content if you watch something about, um, well, say, for example, you watch a Jordan Peterson video, it would then take you to a um, 
Stephen Molyneux video, and then you might end up on someone even more um, more extreme than Stephen Molyneux. Now that that's a little bit dated because Molyneux now has been deplatformed from YouTube, and I I think they've tweaked their algorithm a bit now to to avoid that because that was happening. But certainly for a few years there. Um, social media, particularly YouTube and Facebook, allowed a lot of ideas that yeah, that weren't getting discussed on the radio or on television to get in front of people in a way that they hadn't for probably a few decades. Yes, there's a, there's a good reason why I don't watch much conspiracy content on YouTube these days and mostly watch people doing restorations of computers from the 1980s because that algorithm, that algorithm was not doing me any good whatsoever. Mm. So, when, so do you think that part of what Bolton is doing with in, interviews like this is trying to kind of build his brand with a younger generation of fascist, whilst also possibly whitewashing, and I know that's that's a weird way to put things when we're talking about white supremacism, his his fascist history. Yeah, I mean it certainly certainly appears that way that he is trying to um, become something of an intellectual figure for these for these young men who um, and, and like I sort of alluded to earlier, it's the, it, it's a particular type of young men who um, like the idea of getting into some kind of esoteric knowledge and being into young intellectuals, um, the, the same type of men who get really into, you know, Jordan Peterson and uh, Stephen Molyneux and, and so on. Uh, Kerry Bolton, I think, perhaps is hoping to become that kind of a, a figure on a, maybe on a smaller scale, even if it's just for you know, New Zealand uh, young men who who may already be thinking of themselves as fascists. I think he would be hard-pressed to reinvent himself as a philosopher uh, like uh, Stephen Molyneux calls himself. I think his his fascist history is too long and extensive to to be able to do that. But, um, yeah, to an extent he is whitewashing it a bit in in that interview, and maybe that represents a bit of an attempt to try and mainstream himself a little bit more as well. Yes, I mean he does. He does have history of removing his history from the internet. You may be aware that many years ago Scott Hamilton had a discussion about Kerry Bolton on national radio. Bolton basically sued national radio for defamation. One of the tactics he used to succeed in that initial defamation hearing actually ended up being reversed, was basically removing a whole bunch of the references Scott had made reference to online, so that when people went to investigate the honest true opinion defense that Scott was putting forward, going, well, but there aren't any references there because those references had just disappeared o- overnight. And, I mean, that's what's interesting about the Ab Eterno stuff. There's very little reference to that online anymore. Mm. You have to be making quite specific searches to find any reference to it, which does indicate that there may well be a program constantly on Kerry Bolton's part to just scrub the bits of his history online which he can get access to, so Mm. it's harder to actually make claims about him. Now, let's actually move on to talking a little bit about the the hosts of the podcast. So the podcast we listened to was, was hosted by Gilbert, Frederick, and Hector, members mm-hmm. of Action Zelandia. Was it me, or was there a lot of 
crypto and sometimes just outright anti-Semitism in that interview. Yeah, I mean, I definitely picked up on that. Um, things like uh, referring to Taika Waititi with his, his other surname, uh, Taika Waititi Cohen, to emphasize his Jewishness, for example. Um, I think um, they weren't doing that to... <laughs> They weren't doing that to show that he um, was a good person to direct uh, Jojo Rabbit because of that heritage. I think they were doing that to, you know, in the minds of their listeners, link him to a kind of Jewish elite in Hollywood. It, um, a bit of a dog whistle, but um, one that I think a lot of people can hear if you're familiar with uh, anti-Semitism on the far right. Yes, and I mean, they, they kept on talking about Jewish funders that, Jewish funders this. They wanted mm. to talk about the Jewish fund, funding of the American Revolution, the supposed Jewish funding of the Holocaust, the Jewish influence in the Communist Revolution. And actually, I, thought, I, felt, I found that bit interesting in that Bolton actually at that point goes, no, 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 we don't, we, we don't need to focus so much about the Jewish influences. There were lots of people trying to reap reward from the end of the Tsarist regime, which mm. made me think that even he was going at that point. No, you're 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 using that word too often. We're meant to we're meant to use that quietly. We're not meant to be over. Yeah, yeah. you're saying the quiet part, part loud. Yeah, so there did actually seem to be quite a lot. I was actually going to say a lot. Of, there was there was some pushback by Bolton, who I think is more interested in securing a legacy and mm. not it being easy for people like us to then go so. Why did they talk about the Jews so often in such a short amount of time? Mm. And I mean, there was also some interesting, interesting sexism and anti-LGBTQI stuff as well, wasn't there? Yes, yeah. Um, I've noticed I've noticed a lot of that among um, not just the more kind of extreme wing of the far right, um, like Action Zealandia, but even the more. I guess you might say far right adjacent conservatism, um, like the the new Conservative Party and and people around around that, and I think a lot of it is, particularly for for outright fascists like Action Zealandia, this idea of uh, deviance and de 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 <laughs> degeneracy, people um, degenerating from their ideal of what uh, uh, what the white race should be, and and so forth, and. And I think um, the fact that Action Zealandia is, um, describes things like homosexuality as a mental illness and, and so on, it, it's very much um, playing into those sort of fascist ideas around um, sexuality and degeneracy and, and so forth. Because they won't accept any woman into their organisation, will, will they? No, they are, they are a just a men's youth group. You must be... Uh, under 35, you must be white. Um, on 4chan, when they sort of launched themselves there, um, there was some discussion mm -hmm. as to, you know, could you be mixed race and exact? Could you be, you know, could you have one non-white grandparent or whatever? And at that point, the the person purporting to be a representative action in Zealandia, and I see no reason to to doubt that that person was a representative action in Zealandia. Was sort of saying, no, you must be ethnically ethnically pure. Um, and they won't allow uh, disabled people or even overweight people to to join because they have um, very much an idea of the 
I guess the ideal body, which is again one of these sort of fascist ideas that ties into the whole idea of around degeneracy if you're um, gay or transgender or, or so forth. Because they had a big, big old rant about the feminine part of the brain, which stops people from being able to support them. <laughs> which is, yeah, complete pseudoscience, of course. Yes, which is kind of what I find fascinating about their their constant talk about the trans agenda in that they've got really, really weird biological views of mm. human nature, which kind of takes them into fairly weird spaces. So they, they seem to think that the trans agenda and the trans humanist agenda are one and the same, which mm. seems to be another case of the replacement migration, great replacement thesis. They use the same word, ipso facto, they must be the same idea. Mm. And the, so they've basically got this idea that there's a trans humanist agenda being put forward by our elites to make us all into cyborgs, which to my mind actually sounds pretty cool and not particularly disturbing. I've heard Alex Jones espouse the same theory, I think. <laughs> yes, I mean, there does seem to be this movement amongst people on particular elements of the right to say, look, they just want to make us into cyborgs, they want to make us into evil machines, put magnets in our hands. That's my terrible Alex Jones impression there. <laughs> and it's kind of fascinating because they seem to put it forward as being an example of something that the left wants. And mm. yet most of the people I know on the left, their first response to they want to put machines in our head will be to go, yeah, but what about the privacy concerns? I mean, mm. surely if we've got robotic eyes, surely Apple or Google is going to be tapping that data for all kind of aligned purposes. That actually sounds pretty pretty awful. We need, we need a lot of safeguards in place mm. before you're going to start putting cyborg implants in my face. Mm. So, yeah, I find that to be really quite interesting. Mm. And then the people who are sort of advocating um, uh, transhumanism and whatnot seem to be the sort of eccentric tech moguls, the you know Elon Musk's of the world, and people like that. Um, but I guess for for a group like Action Zealandia, they sort of conflate the elites with with the left in some ways because they see the left as being you know the foot soldiers of the elites, and that's where they can. You know, sound almost anti-capitalist talking about. Oh, I don't think they really use the term ruling class as such, but they will. They will talk about elites, uh, which is a useful word because a listener who is already predisposed to anti-Semitism can substitute Jews in for that. Um, so they'll talk about elites, but then rather than talking about um, class conflict or something like that, the left might talk about. They will. They will see the the left as. Um, you know, carrying out the will of those elites and to the point where you'll even see all this talk of, you know, billionaires like George Soros funding Black Lives Matter and, and so on. Yes, I mean, this also seems to be another case of them mistaking parts of words for pure meaning. The notion, mm. so people like Elon Musk, who are quite obviously libertarian. Mm. Well, libertarian sounds an awful lot like liberal, so liberals and libertarians must be one and the same, mm. even though actually some of the biggest pushback against libertarianism in, say, the US, for example, comes from the, the liberal divide because libertarians seem to be much more aligned with right-wing talking points than they are with left-wing ones. 
Mm, mm. Although I suppose for a third positionist, they can kind of go, oh, we, we navigate those mur murky waters in a completely different way. Mm. So were there any parts of the podcast you actually went, hmm, actually, that's, that's a good idea or that's plausible? Uh, nothing, nothing really jumped out at me like that, no. Did, did you have anything like that? Well, no, so, I mean, I was quite fascinated by their discussion of monetary policy, not to say that I thought, yes, that's a good idea. Mm. So unfortunately, the notions they're putting forward tend to come from the social credit playbook, and mm. social cre credit has a fairly disastrous history, particularly with respect anti-Semitic banking mm. conspiracies in the background. But at the same time, I can see that if someone doesn't know the history of social credit, but hears that an idea was put forward by the Labour Party at a particular point in time, you might go, actually, that seems vaguely plausible. In the same yeah. respect that this afternoon on Twitter, we saw some very interesting takes to National's new idea that your warrant of fitness needs to have your insurance details put upon it. And mm. there were lots of people on the left going, actually, that seems like a great idea. And then people pointing out, so you want to kind of have a kind of badge system where it's quite obvious a poor person's driving a car? That mm. doesn't seem like a particularly good idea when you actually start thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, were there any other bits and bobs from the, from the, from the podcast that you found particularly interesting that we should maybe also shine a light upon? I did think it was interesting that um, Kerry Bolton made the point, he, he said that really, a, a truly sort of fascist politics had only begun with with Action Zealandia or, or the Dominion movement, considering that, um, you know, he's obviously had a much longer involvement in fascism than most of these young men have been alive, or probably all of them actually, uh, given the age of the group. Um, which I guess is part of that whitewashing of his own history. Yeah, there was actually, I mean, it was actually interesting because I, I couldn't quite work out whether he was trying to curry favour with them or mm. whether he's going, actually, you know, my long history of trying to set up a successful fascist movement in this country has been actually a long history of failure. You people have come along and you seem to, I mean, it's, I mean, it's probably a bit early to judge their success given that they're a relatively young group, but they still certainly seem to have been able to, to brand themselves and appear online with fairly consistent messaging without falling into the tired trope of skinhead does something stupid, entire mm. movement is kicked to the curb because of it. Mm. Because there did seem to be a big, a big discussion there about one of the problems that fascists have had in this country, like the National Front and the Dominion movement, is you will get the bad skinhead who does something stupid in public, and then that allows the public to then go, oh, these people are bad. Now, of course, mm. these people actually are bad, so actually a stupid member of their organisation shining a light on the organisation is, in fact, a good thing. But, of course, it's bad PR if you're a member of that organisation and you don't want to be shown up by an idiot. Mm. Mm. Although I actually, I, I actually found that to be quite interesting from another perspective, which is... Essentially, the hosts are going, look, those bad skinheads are not representative of fascists generally. 
so we shouldn't be associated with the bad activities of a few. They are, of course, quite happy to then to take either misquotes or strange examples of acti activity on the left, and they go, and that proves the left is degenerate to the core. Mm. So there's a interesting double standard with respect to what they're allowed to get away with versus what the left is not allowed to get to get away with in the same way. Certainly, yes. So yeah, I thought that was a. That was a particularly galling example of wanting to ha wanting to play both sides. Mm, mm. I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of they keep on talking about this transhuman cyborg agenda, which no one ever seems to actually believe. But they said we found one person who said something online once. Ipso facto, everybody wants this now. Mm. And admittedly, I, I do want the side. Parts, but that's more a function of age than than anything else. <laughs> Bits of my body are wearing out, and I kind of need replacement parts. Mm -hmm. I need I need a robotic liver. That's what I really need these days. <laughs> Indeed. One thing that that brings up, I guess, is the the attempts to really um, see themselves and be seen as a I guess a more clean cut sort of fascist group, and and nothing like those. Uh, those skinheads of of the past is that um, some of the rare media coverage that's been given to Action Zealandia has been, in one case, when one of their members was arrested in relation to a, a threat to Al Noor Mosque, um, just coming up to the one year anniversary of the shooting. Um, that young man had been in the news earlier, but not associated with Action Zealandia at that point. When on the day of the shooting, he was uh, drunkenly. Um, he insisted he wasn't celebrating, but he he was on the streets of Dunedin, sort of yelling out "fuck the Muslims" and so forth, and and was in the in the papers for being arrested then, and then about a year later, arrested in relation to this threat. Um, there's also a another man associated with Action Zealandia um, who is facing uh, an active duty soldier who is facing court martial at the moment for um, I think the charge is, is something like providing. Like distributing information that could jeopardize national security or something to that effect. So, as much as they'd like to not be seen as, um, you know, a sort of thuggish criminal element, the the few members that we're we're hearing about um, almost seems to be something much worse when when that does come out, and um, that never gets sort of mentioned in their in their podcasts and. And they they claim when when something like this happens, they say, "Oh, that person has violated our terms of membership. We don't do anything illegal, and they are no longer a member." Um, which is very easy them, for them to say when none of them reveal their identities until one of them is arrested, and we then learn of their identity. In the case of um, the young man with the threat to the mosque, and less so in the case of the soldier who, who still has name suppression. Yes, there is something quite interesting about the we are all law-abiding law figures until such time it gets revealed that we're not, at which point, mm. oh no, but they were never a proper member of Action mm. Zealandia. I mean, in critical thinking terms, is often called the true Scotsman fallacy or the mm. representational fallacy, the idea that, oh no, Someone who does that isn't a proper member of our organization. And maybe from a PR perspective, that's the move they've got to make, given that 
other mm. white supremacist outfits in this country, like the National Front, have a deplorable history of bad action by members all the time. I think that's one of the things that Kerry Bolton is trying to divorce himself from, which is his his role in the National Front, which of course was then led by Carl Chapman for quite some time and was basically just a bunch of skinheads mm. who would occasionally hold very unsuccessful marches through the streets of Christchurch. Yeah, um, they would hold um, marches that were at times somewhat sizable because they would get all their members from around the country to come to one location and do them. They, they did a few outside Wellington as well, um, outside uh, outside Parliament, I should say, in Wellington. Um, at many of these, particularly around 2004, they were met with um, counter-demonstrations that very much dwarfed their numbers. Um, and I think eventually they stopped doing the ones in Wellington as uh, pressure was put on accommodation providers to uh, not not allow their members to stay there, and so they stopped going to Wellington. And for a while, we're still doing them in Christchurch, but after after time, that that sort of petered out. Which is nice. Hmm. I mean, it was, it was always a point of national pride that we tended to have a counter demonstration larger than the actual white supremacists themselves. Mm. Uh, it turns out that maybe our population is slightly better than the nihilists among us would like to believe. <laughs> yes. So, have you got anything to promote? Oh well, I guess I guess I should promote my YouTube channel. Um... tell us all about your amazing YouTube career. <laughs> so, I I started making YouTube videos um, uh, not long after the after the Christchurch shooting. I'd been following following the alt right a little bit before that event. Um, kind of starting with um, I guess when GamerGate happened, and then watching um, watching the alt right realize that hey, here's a here's a group of extremely online angry young men who can be brought into the fold and um, made into part of our movement. I mean, the first uh, first website to give um, positive coverage to Gamergate was um, uh, Breitbart with uh, Mali Yiannopoulos as their sort of tech editor. Um, and then watched sort of over the, over the um, following years, um, you know, the election of Donald Trump and then the Unite the Right rally, um, and then by by 2019, um, you know, the events in, in Christchurch. And after that, people people who sort of followed me on social media and knew that I'd followed the alt-right a bit were looking to me for, for information. I thought, well, what's the best what's the best way I can get some of this information out there in a easily consumable form? And I'd been been watching a few of the sort of bread tube style video essayists um, for a while by that point. I thought, well, I'll do video essays because it might reach more people than, than writing articles on a blog or something like that. And so the first one I did was looking at um, the UN Migration Compact and the sort of conspiracy theories around that that was started by uh, identitarian groups in Europe, particularly um, Generation Identity in Austria, which is the group that the, the Christchurch shooter had donated to. And I looked at how that had spread into New Zealand and through social media and talkback radio had gone from a kind of far-right fringe to being adopted as policy by uh, ACT and National, who then, uh, in the case of National, very quickly scrubbed it from their website on the day of the of the shooting there. 
Um, so I looked at that as a case study of how far right ideas can get into into the mainstream. Um, I think I've done done some more since then. I did a three part series I called um, "Stories New Zealand's Far Right Is Telling," where I um, looked at um, again sort of conspiracy theories that had emerged after the shooting, like the idea that the shooter wasn't actually far right, which you'd see being pushed by people who are uncomfortable with the fact that a lot of the things the shooter believed are what they believed, and so they want to portray him as actually a Muslim convert or actually someone on the left, or uh, they um, piggyback on this eco-fascist term that a lot of people might not know the definition of and say, oh, I was a radical environmentalist. We associate that with the left, um, therefore left, not right, um, and so forth. Um, and I've also done one where I looked at the far right sort of misappropriation of Viking history, which was a fun excuse to dress as a Viking. Um, and I think as we mentioned at the start, my most recent one is uh, fact checking a a local sort of far right YouTuber, which I've done in a sort of stylistic parody of uh, 90s shows like Beyond Belief and Unsolved Mysteries and, and so forth. How's the response to the most recent video been? Um, <clears throat> mixed <laughs> it's always mixed um because a pretty substantial portion of my audience are people on on the far right or at least people in bit inclined to to um that way of thinking um it's interesting i can because i can see on on youtube where the referrals are coming from and i can always tell like what's the what's the website that the far right are using at the moment because after the main social media platforms like facebook and twitter and youtube um i think for the first one it was then 8chan was the other big referrer when that was still around and then that disappeared so the next one it uh, was 4chan where they'd gone back this latest one after Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter, the next biggest referrer is uh, Telegram. So I know that the video is getting shared around these right-wing Telegram channels, and people are watching it from that. So I get a fair bit of uh, negative feedback, but I get I get plenty of positive feedback as well. Because you yeah. you even got downvotes on the video before it went live. Yeah, well, all the videos now I do a I do a premiere, so a few people can watch watch it once as it launches and so I put the link up and immediately there'll be some people go in and downvote the video and it's like well you don't you don't even know what the video is yet <laughs> you only have a you have a title and a thumbnail and you're uh so yeah you can never really trust uh, on any political content I think on on the internet you can't really trust um um up and down votes you know similar with uh, with book reviews of a very controversial book you can't you can't really trust all those one-star reviews as being people who have read it and had a negative opinion of it. Um, and it's the same on YouTube. Although th that said, I, I tend to tend to have a reasonably good ratio that's in favor of upvotes <laughs> by, by the, uh, by the time a few people have seen it anyway. That's good to hear. Cause yes, the algorithm can be quite cruel otherwise. Mm. So what are you pl planning on doing next? What am I planning on doing next? Um, I've got a few ideas in the pipeline. Um, uh, not all of them necessarily about the far right. I do occasionally branch out to some different things. Um, or one I did that wasn't about the far right um, was about um, um, Australia's offshore detention policies. Um, I think it's somewhat related because it's still about issues of borders and migration and 
and so forth, but it wasn't directly about the far right. And unfortunately, it wasn't as popular, I think, because it didn't get, perhaps just because it didn't get that far right audience that my critiques of them do. Um, but I am planning what will probably be a multi-part series that I'm calling uh, Sexual Anxieties of the Far Right, uh, which I'm going to do as a, as a parody of, uh, of the kind of sex education videos you might watch in intermediate school. Um, so I'm hoping that that will be uh, popular, or if not popular, at least uh, not controversial enough um, to to be pulled down by YouTube. Because we're, uh, I'm going to be, yeah, talking about sexuality and also talking about fascism, possibly with some quotes from Hitler. And I think that's going to run some risks on YouTube. But I'll see how it goes. Yes, and actually, I mean. Scoot- Given the state of social media at the moment, it's actually quite hard to predict what's going to be what's going to be the next litmus test for videos or social media, especially given the way that machine machine learning and machine intelligence is doing a lot of the curation in the first place. It's quite Mm. easy to become a false positive. Definitely, and uh, there were a couple of things in the last video I did where. Um, some of the uh, intro, it includes sort of small clips that are sliding by back and forth and and a lot of them are just uh, pulled from old public domain sci-fi and horror movies and I found one uh, about a Nazi time machine I thought, oh well I've got to put the Nazi time machine in there but I um, cropped the video in such a way that there's only two thirds of a swastika because yeah, the machine learning will see a swastika and um, to remove it, so it's very low resolution and very quick. But um, but there's a Nazi time machine in there, and also one of the one of the videos video clips from uh, the YouTuber who I am fact checking. Um, I noticed was removed from YouTube, and that's probably because he claims in that video that COVID nineteen is a hoax. So um, there's actually a slight distortion of the audio when he says hoax, just to make sure that it doesn't automatically get pulled based on having the phrase COVID-19 is a hoax. That's <laughs> something I wanted to avoid putting in the video. Because uh, while any human watching can tell that I am critiquing that uh, machine, maybe maybe would not. Yes, and I think therein lies the danger of our machine learning culture. Mm. Context is often often king. And it turns out that context is one thing we're not very good at training machines to recognize. Mm, mm. Although now, now, now I feel the need to hunt down this Nazi time machine film. I think it was called The Yesterday Machine. Let me look that up. Oh, actually, that does, that does vaguely ring a bell. So this is a, a, a 1963 film, film The yeah. Yesterday Machine, yeah. yes. Yes, yes. I think I, th- I don't think I've ever seen it. I think I've heard of it. I have a, mm. I have a thing for time for time travel films. I'm very much look- looking forward to the third Bill, Bill and Ted film when it comes oh, out. Oh yes, the yeah. End, I'm looking forward to end of this music. month. It, it actually might be the only good thing 2020 is going to give us this year. <laughs> Quite possibly. I mean, the end of the year at this stage looks like, looks like it's going to be a disaster with that American election, where it's not particularly clear that President Trump is actually going to accept any result that doesn't mm. accord with his gut feel about what the American people really want. So the fact that we're getting a few Keanu Reeves films this year, because I think they'd finished filming the most recent John Wick film, but The Matrix, they, ha- they haven't finished doing yet. There are some Keanu Reeves highlights, which will at least make the end of the year 
more tolerable than mm. it's been thus far. Yes. Well, thank you very much for this. It has been a rather elucidating discussion about Action Zelandia and Kerry Bolton. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. Excellent. Thank you. So, Josh, you've just listened to that interview in real time. Yes, I have. Wink. Do you, oh, you don't have a follow-up yeah. for that? Okay, no, no, so no, no, I thought so you were going to say something witty to no, lead no, me no, into no, that. No, no, you said, see, I'd, I'd already said, what did you think of it? But you'd launched in with the wink unless you didn't actually hear me ask a question. So then right. I, said, I left a Pinterest pause, hoping that you'd then launch into, well, you know, when Doris and I first met in the Primrose Path, back in June but no instead you were confused so tell me Josh what most did you think confused. um uh, it was it was a jolly uh, interesting listen really um I, I I was interested like obviously because I don't pay any attention to these sorts of people online I was interested to read uh, to hear about their reactions to the Christchurch shootings and about the, the various things that disappeared almost instantly and the whole and the the the, the no true Scotsman or well he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't a real proper one of us sort of thing um and yes, I wasn't aware of your history with Mr. Bolton as well. Bit of bit of intrigue there. Oh, I actually thought I'd told you that. So, oh, you probably had, but it was probably the, a while ago. The full extent of that story, I'm actually not at liberty to disclose because it would embarrass certain individuals if I said exactly when and where it occurred. But yes, the Dimitri, and I'm going to mispronounce his name again, but I, once again, I don't care because he's a Nazi. Mycopolis, Michaelopolis, it's M-I-C-H-A-L-P-O-U-L-O-S. So Michael- Sounds like Michaelopolis. Yeah, Michaelopolis. Yeah, that was a very interesting time. And I have to assume that he knew who I was because he probably mentioned the people he was around to Kerry Bolton in correspondence. And so I just assume that Bolton said, yeah, don't, don't talk to that one. They're a wrong'un. Hmm. Well, there you go. So, does this? Um, I, I guess one thing I had was was where to from there. Um, I assume Byron's going to carry on doing his YouTube videos, which you should go and have a look at, by the way, if you have not already. Um, does this affect any of the the things you've been looking at um, in terms of the 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 Christchurch shooting that you've looked into or any of the other sort of conspiratorial kinds of things? I mean, I have been keeping an eye on what Action Zelandia does, and I have been noting that they've been using the services of Kerry Bolton for quite some time. So he, he wrote a piece for their website. He's appeared on the podcast. If you go and listen to the podcast, which I wouldn't recommend... They do threaten to bring him back for subsequent episodes, so there probably is going to be more content to talk about. We'll probably hear more from Byron at some particular point. We were talking after the interview ended about the build-up to the election and the way that conspiracy theories are being espoused by both minor and major parties in the build-up to the election, which may or may not be in September, given that this COVID crisis may delay the election date by several weeks or a few months. So we'll probably hear about him again in future when we start looking at what the right is doing with respect to trying to change the government. Hmm. Well, there you go. Um, probably should wrap it up there then, for although mere moments have passed for us, 
our audience has spent 55 odd minutes uh, listening to the interview, so maybe we should give them their time back. Although before we go, we should point out that um, our good patrons get get even more. Uh, for we're just about to go and record a bonus episode, which talks about, as you said, some of the conspiratorial talk that's already popping up uh, around the election here in New Zealand, um, and just a bit of the old qanon covid business that just seems to be everywhere now. Can't yes, avoid the stuff. unfortunately. Unfortunately, it does appear to be everywhere, and I really wish it would stop. Hmm. But uh, it shows no sign of that, and neither do we, quite frankly. So we'll let you go now, but we'll be back. Same, same time, I assume, in about a week, as is our want. Uh, but until then, I will say goodbye. And I'll say get to the rescue chopper. been listening to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy starring josh addison and dr mrx dentit which is written researched, recorded and produced by josh and m you can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its podbean or patreon campaigns and if you need to get in contact with either josh or m you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their twitter accounts monkey fluids and conspiracism Remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.